Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide here. Mike's over at Mile High working the counter today. So if you want to reach out to Mike, uh, his number is 303-255-9999. Um, Adam's over there as well. A lot of you guys are asking for Adam to come back and talk reloading. I'm going to do a little bit of reloading stuff with you as well because I have some uh, new solid bullets here in 6.5 variety that I'm going to be playing with. So I have some uh, brand new Peterson 260 brass. And I have these 6.5 bullets from Steve uh, over at uh, Dynamic Research. And so we're going to be doing some load development and some work with that. So I figure while I'm doing it, I might as well be talking through it so you guys can see what's going on. But speaking of 260s, it's a nice segue to get into that because I just finished up with the Tika Attack A1. Actually, I just got started with it, to be quite honest. Um, but what we did is I had the Tika Attack A1 for a while. And I'd been talking to you guys about the Tikas. And I'm a huge fan of the Tika platform, especially as a, you know, um, 700 replacement. Uh, everybody sees the drama with Remington right now and everything going on. And I think the Tika has a lot to offer. It's a good price. There's a lot of really good inexpensive aftermarket options for it. And as well, you can get one that's, you know, out of the box ready to go like the TAC A1. Now, I'd been shooting the TAC A1 for a while. We mentioned it. I had it at the Pawnee match and, and we were laughing about me with the 300-yard target surprise i upgraded it did everything and ended up hitting that 300 yard target yesterday which was fantastic it's it, it, the goof was we were all out at the range um during that class in march and i took a few shots at the poppers at 300 and still didn't hit them you know not no one two round hit it was like you know three four to hit the damn things not like now but what i found with the original teak attack a1 and really all the Tikas that I've shot so far, which has only been the two, although I've seen a lot of them in classes. Uh, and with both of them now, I've swapped the barrels out. And I've gotten a lot of pushback. I get a lot of pushback on all the upgrade videos I do. There's a ton of people that don't like the idea of me upgrading uh, these rifles as soon as I upgrade them. They, it, it breaks their brain or something and they throw a fit. But with the Tika T3X, and that was just your bone stock, you know, in the plastic Tika stock, um, I found that, you know, great accuracy, everything was good. But, you know, then you're going to get out of that, that cheesy plastic stock. So I put it in a KDX chassis. And one of the benefits to the chassis that I talk about in the video is the fact that you can use AICS mags. I'm not a big a fan of the Tika mags. Number one, mags for the Tika are super expensive compared to everything else. Number two, uh, I find like it's either the spring, the followers are a little light and small. The springs are a little bit weak. And I find that they'll foul and tip and they'll catch the meat plats and everything on the bullets. So I'm not as big a fan of the Tika mag. So I like the chassis. Oops, so I like the chassis side of things. Well, with the TAC A1, you get it in the Tika chassis. So the idea is to use that and not strip it completely down. You get a two-stage trigger with it. You get a little longer barrel instead of the stock T3X has a 20-inch barrel. You can get a 24 in the TAC A1. So I did that. 
and I found my muzzle velocity was still slower than I wanted it to be. With the 130 grain prime ammo, it was only 2710. So that's too slow, okay? I mean, uh, honestly, 130 grain ammo should be 2850 to 2950 in a lot of these rifles, and it's not always that way. So what I did is I upgraded it to a left-hand gain twist Bartland barrel. Just so I, I think I mentioned it in one of the podcasts, I walked in and the day I was at Mile High, they got a shipment of barrels from Bartland and they had a bunch of 6.5 left-hand gain twist. So I immediately ran back and grabbed one off the shelf and put it to the side for me, knowing it was going to go on this Tika. So then I gave the rifle to Logan and everybody at Mile High Shooting and they upgraded it. Fantastic job. Now here's the deal. I went about the same contour as the original Tika barrel, so it's a lighter palma, little, you know, I just make the chamber area a little longer. I do more of like a gap contour, they used to call it, and that chamber tends to be a tick longer um, than before it tapers. But then I go into a smaller, thinner, lighter palma kind of contour. So... With the left-hand gain twist, I also went two inches shorter. Instead of it being a 24-inch barrel, I went 22-inch and threaded. I know I'm going to put a suppressor on it. And in fact, I was using the Leviathan Ghost Suppressor with it. So, you know, I'm, I'm putting all this stuff together and I wanted to look at the on and offs and, and everything that we had going on. I run the numbers without a suppressor. I, I, I take the information and I ran two loads across my chronograph. So first thing I did is I cleaned it up and watched the video. Then I, I chronographed it. 28.25 with the factory prime. So I gained 115 feet per second right out of the gate. And I'm in a shorter barrel. So good. I'm in a good spot. Well then, now comes the pleasant surprise. What happened is I take my 130 grain load that I had in the car, the 136, I take that back, the 136 grain Cenar load from Andrew McCourt. I run that through the Tika a couple rounds and chronograph that. Well, lo and behold, same muzzle velocity, 28.25. So now I have this left-hand gain twist, and I increase my muzzle velocity in both the prime and the 136 CNR load match in muzzle velocity. Kind of weird, but okay, it worked. Well, then I zero the rifles up. I mount the scope. I put a Night Forest Attacker 7 to 35 on it, get it all zeroed up. So I'm shooting the 130s. I zero it. I do what I have to. I'm, I chronograph it. Well, then I go to the 136, and it's the same zero. It's in the same, and I'm using about a half-inch dot. Because I uh, new snipers high targets came in. The box to bench precision has them online. So the tall target test target showed up. So I uh, Joe had shipped me a box of them and I brought them down to the range. And guys, nice thing with those tall target, there's two to a page. You can actually cut it in half and just use it two separate targets. So one target actually gives you two. So you, you can split them. But, I mean, there's a lot of spots to shoot. It's got the bigger checkerboard, which you can line your reticle up really nice, the black and white checkerboard. Then it's got smaller dark squares and circles. Well, in the half-inch dot, both loads hit the same spot. And I'm going to talk about 100-yard zeros in a second because some data has been coming up. So I'm going to go over that, but I want to finish talking about this Tika build. So now I... I, I 
I got everything. I put the suppressor on it. I make sure my zeros are good. And the suppressor had minimal shift. I think it was two tenths. And I go to town. So now I didn't take it all the way out, but I hit some high points on the target. I shot the 300 yard target, which was like, you know, woohoo. I hit the thing centered up pretty damn good. So I actually had some dope and I put it in my software. Well, then I went to 800 first. So I shot up 800 and the 136 with uh, 5.4 was like dead on the line. So it was right there, money. Well, then I go to the 136 and the 136 grain load was like a tenth higher and two tenths less wind. So it's like, okay, well, I got more elevation and less wind out of the 136 load because they're zeroed in the same spot. And this is a benefit of gain twist barrels. This is why the service rifle guys, and if you Google service rifle gain twist barrel on YouTube, you'll find the guys who go through Bartlin and shoot service rifle, the 5.56 stuff, talking about gain twist barrels. And they're doing a pretty aggressive twist. Why? Because they shoot lighter bullets close and then they get progressively heavier bullet weight wise. And by using these gain twist barrels, they're able to then have a variety of bullets and still have everything they're looking for. So you get um, more uh, variation. You, you, you get a greater cross-section of what bullets you can shoot. You can alternate between heavy and light with no ill effect with twist rate. So you're solving this internal question of twist rate. And again, I went left hand, gain twist, Bartland, so I know everything's good, no, no issues there. And accuracy increased, okay? I thought the Tika barrels were good, and they are. I highly recommend, if you get a Tika, shoot about 2,000 rounds through it in the 6.5 variants, even if you're in the 308s, before you think about swapping the barrels out, right? Well, then I swapped the barrel out. I gained accuracy at 1,125 yards, uh, 9.2 mils to hit the target. I shot like a six-inch group, and the winds were pretty bad. If you listen to the video, I'm talking loud, which I'm a loud talker anyway, but the winds, you can hear the winds in the video, and usually it takes a bit for you to hear the winds in my video, but they were there. Great results with this upgrade. Mile High did a great job. The Bartland barrel is fantastic. I'm left-hand gain twist now. I have numbers I can work with right out of the gate with both factory and custom loads. And it's funny, I just put this video up and like immediately I got feedback on YouTube. One of the guys came in and posted that his hand loads with a 143 Hornaday out of his Teak Attack A1 is only 2,700 feet per second. So here you got a guy hand loading, and he's not a light hand load. He's in the 42.5 of H4350, which should give him a good number. He is at 2,700 even with his 143 grain load. So I actually, with a 136 CNR, I actually have 125 feet per second over him. And I'm only that seven grain less weight of bullet in the BC on a 136 CNR is pretty damn close to like a 140A max, 143. It's in that ballpark. It's not too bad. You know what I'm saying? So I, I gained on it. 
and I, I you know everything worked out the way I want so I took it in in a little a bit out to distance I I dropped it in my software I didn't have any I just dropped it in trace all to start but I'm going to be going into the Garmin with AB here because I'm working with the Garmin for Trek with the AB so I'm putting all my data in there and the next time out we're going to run AB and hit all these targets and then finish our Garmin review. I was hoping my truing target would be done by now. I think Austin will be done pretty quick, but um, I was hoping to have it out and have that truing target so I can use and do all this with the Garmin and show you how I'm going to true with, with these these ways. Um, hopefully, they'll show up within the next few days because um, that way I can put it out and get some video for you guys and especially have it before the class coming up in 10 days. We got that other mile high training detachment class that's happening on the 18th of May. So uh, I want to have that target for those guys too if, if it gets all finished up. But yeah, um, the like I said, the Tika, the next thing I have to do to it is change the trigger weight. Okay, the, and Tikas are good for triggers. They're really simple. I, I, in my other Tikas, I have the Yo Dave trigger spring. And if you go online and type in Yo Dave and the trigger spring for Tika, they're 10 bucks. And you take that single screw out, you pull the old spring out, you put the new spring in, and then you can make the adjustments, and it's pretty nice. I'm just going to go and adjust this as it sits. I'm not going to upgrade the spring right now. So I want to see how well that trigger adjusts is my next thing. The only thing, I tried to do it on the line. But you got to pull like not only the action screws out with that chassis, but there's screws that hold like the handguard area and different places. So there's more than one attachment point of how that comes together. So I have to go and, and actually, you know, put it on a bench and take it apart. Originally, I was just going to do it on the line and adjust it during the video, but it was a little more involved than I was hoping. So that's the next thing is to just back it down a bit. And, and or bring it down here and then take it apart lighten it up i'm gonna bring it to about one and a half pounds and see how well that works with the tika without the trigger upgrade so that's the next point but uh, another thing i want to talk about and this uh, guys you know it's gr I, I really dig before i get into it i want to say thank you for the comments Thank you for the YouTube, um, not the YouTube, but the uh, Facebook stuff and the Podbean app. Um, I'm getting a better hang of the Podbean app, and it's pretty easy to check some of the comments and stuff. And I know guys are asking for, like I said, Adam and reloading and things like that. You guys seem to be pretty hot on the reloading stuff. But um, thank you for the shares and the things. But throw that comments coming. I get a lot of like Facebook Messenger and emails from guys saying, "Hey, you should talk about this," or "Hey, we just noticed this." I got a I got an email from uh, guys at Night Force, uh, listening to the video, and thank you guys for listening. Um, talking about hundred yard zeros, and they're moving around the country and they're doing some stuff, and and I I did a revisit on the Hornaday True Range Zero, now. Cold bore, the software in the phone app and everything on my Windows phone has a true range finder. And I went and looked at the Hornaday True Range Zero stuff as well and how they did it for their app. Because they were saying to me that I get this call and I get a lot of these like dropping, you know, little it's it's like being a journalist. People will, will give you have a tip hotline. So Frank tends to become the tip hotline for people. 
And and I love that. I think it's fantastic. You guys, if you have something you see, you want something me to look at, you want to discuss. And, and this is what we do like in the Sniper's Hide Online training too. If you see something or, or you're thinking about or some, things aren't lining up, they aren't adding up to four. You got two, you got two, you add them together and you get five. Okay, well, why do I got five? You try it again, you add two plus two, you get three and a half. You know, it's not giving you the number you want. So this can be software, this can be results, whatever the case may be. And the Night Force guys reached out to me because they're noticing smaller angles are having an effect at 100 yards. And our general rule of thumb was you needed like 10 degrees of angle to have a difference in elevation. And we usually don't quite see it at 100 yards. But then I'm watching the Hornaday video, and they even put in their Fordoff software a 2-degree angle. So then I'm thinking about this. Okay, so we're talking true range 0. And what the true range 0 is, is yeah, let's take the 3-inch the uh, shoot and see. And I shoot those a lot. A lot of guys are out there. You're familiar with them. If you don't know, look up the Birchwood Casey shoot and see targets. Look at the three inch ones. They're a black three inch shoot and see, and they have that little tiny quarter inch orange dot in the middle. So if our zero isn't perfectly in the center of that dot, maybe it's a percentage of a click high or low. And, uh, you know, one of those deals where, you know, you got a, a 0.36 click on your mill scope, but you're a quarter inch out. You know, if you go and click the other direction, you're going to be X amount below it, above it. You're not perfectly lined up. So using true range zero, you're not only putting that zero offset in, you're fixing the range for your software. Because this can become a critical element, and Hornaday highly, highly recommends you do this. Now, you can go to their YouTube channel, look up determining your zero range under Hornaday's website, and you can follow along, but I, I have some of it here. I printed out the high points, and this is going to be familiar because their main inputs, they tell you before you start, they give you some input, input data, okay? So... This correlates to the impact data book ballistic calculator data sheets I did. And almost the same thing they have, I have. I'm going to go down for this. So with my ballistic calculator data sheet, I have my profile name, date and time, my ammunition used, my rifle twist, my bullet BC, muzzle velocity, zero range, sight height, density altitude, bullet diameter, temperature, weight, bullet weight, station pressure or barometric pressure, bullet length, humidity, click value correction, and then azimuth and latitude plus notes. And then it has a drop chart. Well, Hornaday in one of their early screens, and I printed it, screen captured it, they say the inputs are essential to correctly measure for maximum accuracy. And these are the essential inputs. So it tells you rifle caliber, and they have seven millimeter. Bullet that they're using is the Hornaday 175 ELDX, muzzle velocity, target range, sight height, shoot angle, wind speed, wind angle, pressure, altitude, temperature, humidity. So everything I'm talking about in my ballistic data chart, they're talking about in their true range video. So then 
now the difference is they're shooting a group and like they left their rifle an inch and a half from point of aim point of impact i'm going to talk to you zeroing wise as if we're going to zero and we're going to be within a quarter minute of center so we're going to pretend we have a mrad scope and that we can't dial the 0.2 inch adjustment okay so maybe even even it's below a quarter so say it's like two tenths of an inch so if you're an moa guy you, you know you're just going to be above it a little bit or below it a little bit not dead center but let's just figure a quarter of an inch off okay and we won't call left or right right now we're just going to call elevation so you shoot your group you got to measure your group size and you got to determine your group center so find the mean point of aim by measuring the height of the group we're just looking at how tall it is then you're going to divide that number by two to get your center you're going to measure from the bullet point of aim to the top of the group so your your aiming point that's why you want to find aiming point right which i like that tall target that i did with that checkerboard it gives you a really fine aiming point in that almost like inch and a half grid that you're looking at. So you have both a vertical and horizontal adjustment because it's it's alternate black and white checkerboard and it, it's got that cross in the middle. So you quarter your target, you center it up. Now you can measure from the top of your group. Subtract half of the group size and bring it back down. So your total group height divided by two, measure from the point of aim, point of top, and then your mean impact. So you're, you're measuring from the top down and then subtracting the, half the group size. So we're saying we're 2.2 inch off, okay? Well, then you're, you use that to find your actual true range zero. And what Hornaday did is they did a trial and error in their video. They guessed at the number and then they kind of used their app to fine tune it to match up that at the distance they shot, which was 96 yards, they wanted their true range zero, so it was 1.5 inches difference from 96 yards to what they put in for a zero. And for them, it came out to like 210 yards. So their true range zero then becomes 210 yards, being an inch and a half from center. Now I'm using, hold on, here we go, got it. So I have cold bore here. So cold bore has a utility. I pull up my data for the Teak Attack A1 that I put in. I put my target range is 100 yards. My point of aim to impact center difference, my, means, uh, my mean point of impact, that information we're saying, and it can, you can do in cold bore, inches, MOA, MRAD, whatever the case. I have it in inches right now. So we're saying I'm 0.2 tenths off center okay 0.2 um and that's not mrad it's inches so about a quarter give or take it's telling me my true range zero that should go in the calculator now is 135 yards it's not a hundred yard and this is a point of error for your software because we all just default to saying i shot a hundred it's a hundred it's a hundred but if you measure everything up and you get your offsets, we've too long. We talk about getting better, getting better. We're, we're, we're I mean, I just went left hand gain twist. I increased my muzzle velocity. I, I got custom load, the whole thing. I'm going through all this effort. 
tons of effort. But then I'm just going to throw some rounds in a half inch dot or one inch dot. Most people are shooting one inch or bigger, right? For their zero target size. And we're like, it's in the one inch dot. We're there. We're good. And this goes for left and right too, because that's going to matter. I tend to put my zero right on the nine o'clock edge of center. That takes care of a little bit of my spin drift, right guys? So I'm, I'm a 10th off to the left. So that, that, that does that, but my heights are pretty good. Now, if I'm two tenths off, we should be measuring that. We should be looking at our zero and putting a little more effort into that zero. And this is what Night Force was saying. Night Force is saying small angles from bench to prone, from prone to bench, from different things. And we've seen various changes in our impacts from moving from position to position. Well, this, this is something to look at. Make sure you're measuring up your zero. Make sure you're getting some good details, especially if you guys like with the ELR stuff. You can do this. Then you can move it up using the tall target test and re-zero because now you got 36 mil or, you know, or 10 mils of elevation. You can come up 10 mils high, reset, and then come up 10, you know, whatever you have to do. And what, what will it do for you is... It'll let you have it zero out farther, but from 100 yards so you know your money. Then you can do the measurements with your rulers, and you can put this into software, and you can say, my point of aim is here, my impact is here, and give a new range to your software. But it's really, really important that as we start to fine-tune, as you start to go out and you go for that quality over quantity, we're, we're, we're talking about you know, updating our BCs. If our muzzle velocity is a little lower, we want to go, you know, down with our BC. If our muzzle velocity is a little better, we want to go up. That's like, you know, if you guys are doing a 6.5 PRC and your muzzle velocity screaming, well, you know, if you're 3,200 feet per second and that bullet was figured with a velocity at 2,800 feet per second, you got to update the BC. So we go through all this effort Tall target test our scopes, you know, go do our software, true it up at distance, put a watermark on targets to make sure we're hitting where we're supposed to be hitting, what our offset is from point of aim to point of impact. It only makes sense to do this at 100 yards as well. And then that way there, updating your software and making sure everything is the way it's supposed to be. Telling you, you'll have better results longer out you know what i mean the, the the farther you shoot the better your results are going to be because we're now tightening up all these variables right we're trying to shave errors we're shaving errors from our scope by tall target testing it and understanding what that click value actually is we're shaving errors by using better muzzle velocity, right? We've got magneto speeds, which aren't light sensitive and give you a better number. Or maybe you got a lab radar with Doppler and you're getting your, your speeds that way. So we're no longer having these big swings in muzzle velocity because we're not using light screens and we didn't shoot a bunch when a cloud came over, right? So we tighten that up. 
Then we take our bullets. We're using better bullets now. Everybody's updating their bullet libraries. They're updating their bullet designs. The new ELDXs and Ms and things, right? The new burgers, the CNRs, all the stuff like that. We're updating those. So it makes sense to put a better number in, uh, um, you know, to measure it out. It's funny. He's talking to uh, Neil from the UK, flies over here. Uh, we had breakfast Sunday morning, and he, he does the uh, UK to Denver trip on the, you know, flying. And, and so he has a, like a day that they give him rest here. And so we had breakfast. And he was saying how, uh, what was it? What bullet? I forget what bullet he was using, but he had a whole, oh, uh, Noslers. He had a whole load of Noslers. And then he found on his shelf the new ones. And when he measured them, the weights were really close, but the lengths were off. So make sure you're looking at if you're doing that, what your, what your lengths are and all your data and everything. Now, bullet length really just helps with spin drift and stuff in the software. But it's one of those things where it might matter. You know what I mean? And, and that's why we, we talk about, is this number really what we think it is? Is what's happening really the, the result of cause and effect? You know, if we did this and we see this happening, what's the variables? Well, your 100 yard zero is another one of those that we can control, that we can look at fairly easy without a lot of drama, and then we can go and do it, right? We can fix this and put it in our software and especially with like the ABs and the stuff where we're going to be truing later, it's these kind of variables that may put our truing a little farther over than we want it to. So if we fix all this stuff down the line by putting a better BC in, by putting a true range zero in, by fixing, making sure our muzzle velocity is good because of the device we're using, well, then we may not have to mess with truing as much, Right. You know what I mean? We're, 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 not, we're not trying to solve other errors through tweaking the muzzle velocity. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. The, the least pressure we can put on a good recorded muzzle velocity by screwing with it, adding or subtracting, the better we're going to be when we travel around. So they talk about in the videos with Hornaday that getting good atmospheric data. Don't just pull data off the internet. Don't pull it off of an app. Use a Kestrel and actually record your 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 zero condition data. If you put your good zero condition data in and you get everything all up and running, then well, when you move and you use your field conditions, this the computer has that much better foundation for what you're doing, right? You know what I'm saying? So that's what we want to look at. That's why we, you guys got to take your 100 yards and look at the angle. Test it out. Go, you know what? Do five shots from the ground and five shots from the bench and see if it moves a little bit. And then determine where your, your bench zero is. If you've got an angle where uh, the, the, the target isn't level with you, make sure you're looking at that angle, record it as best you can, and drop it in the software, even if it's 1% or 2%. You know, and see if that makes a bit of a difference because it might. And guys are seeing it. Here's, here's the great, great thing that's going on with everybody. We're all shooting better. We're all shooting farther. We're all shooting tighter. You know what I mean? So we're seeing things that were dismissed in the past. You know what I mean? We're seeing this stuff that people thought was just a random anomaly, something that can be dismissed. And the fact that we're seeing it today in in greater detail is because everything's getting better. 
and I want you guys to be better. I want you to shoot better. So definitely take a look at this stuff, right? And, and look at your 100 yard zero. Look at the, the, the variables that you're putting in and don't go and do what we did five years ago, just winging this stuff. You know what I mean? Actually take some time, put some effort in. Uh, you know, in the video, it, it, it's funny. I got the, 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 the rifle back and not that I had to, but I, I wanted to do it in the video. I actually punched the bore in the beginning to make sure there was no piece of anything in there when they, they chambered it, when they cut the threads and make sure there was no microscopic little, you know, uh, uh, piece of chip. So I, I cleaned the barrel out. So I'm actually going through these processes a little bit more as well in doing things exactly how it should to make sure I don't have a variable in there. I mean, how bad would it be to have a brand new barrel, not, not, you know, throw a couple patches through it before I started shooting, found out there was a chip in there and then scratched it or did something really bad inside. And guys scratch, you'll see every now and then guys who bore scope stuff, you may have noticed this, like there's a scratch in there. Well, there might've been something in it when you first shot it and, and that cause that scratch so you know i'm trying to do things a little bit better because i'm demonstrating it so the idea for me giving it to you is best practices i i want this to be about best practices that we can all do all the variables we can control and how to fix them from watermarks on your steel target so you know whether you're high or low over that from you know the 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 Truing up your BCs, which I'm fine. Like I said, I'm finding it's 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 a game changer, man. As far as my data goes, it's making it that much better. Um, and and now you know left hand gain twist. I'm I'm going to these things, so I don't have to worry about spin drift and Coriolis and all this stuff. I can shoot these things, and everything's working out great. Um, I don't know if I mentioned. I did mention them for a second, but. You know, even the bullet choices, the 130 Prime is great. It's working really good. It's it's inexpensive compared to the hand loads and, and stuff like that with the CNRs and the, and the Lapua brass and all that stuff. I mean, you figure my hand loads a, a, is a, a Lapua salad, right? And the Prime is pretty low cost, 25 bucks a box, give or take. Well, you got a CNR and you got Lapua brass. And you got better primers and powders and hand loads and putting it all together, time consuming. It technically, while material wise, might cost a little bit less. Time wise, it costs more because it's my time. And so I can now interchange with this and I can shoot the prime close. And then when I got a far target, because the zero is the same, I got better wind drift, better elevation. That's going to help me farther out and, and, and really keep my number solid. So. That's kind of the stuff that I'm looking at. All right, guys. Hey, man. Thank you for, for listening. Thank you for following. Thank you for sharing. And, and if you could, we, we, we'd, we'd appreciate even a little bit more feedback, a little bit more sharing, a little more comments. Because believe it or not, some of these apps and their algorithms do look at comments. You know what I mean? You can say whatever you really want. They're just looking at the, the, the not what the comment says, but what the comment is there. And the more comments you get, they look at that as a more interactive situation and it ranks higher on their algorithms. Uh, so definitely comment, definitely do that. Check out the videos. Oh, one of the, uh, speaking of videos, with, with everything going on, I got the, the guys from Full 30 reached out to me. 
So I do have my own platform with the flow player stuff that I'm using on Sniper's Hide. So I, I have a lot of my training videos and all that moving over to flow player. The pain is with flow player is I have, I had to custom port it to the forum. So you can't do full screen with it. Now the thing with full 30 as well is I can't use that iframe in the forum. But I am going to move my YouTube videos over to full 30 as well. So I'm going to be starting a full 30 Sniper's Hide channel over there. I sent them the paperwork today. Thanks to Nick and those guys for reaching out to me because I'm terrible with that stuff. Um, but I am going to head over to full 30 and give you more options. I'm also, uh, now that the weather's, the wind was still pretty bad. If you hear, like I said, I was talking loud and you can see the wind. And this was a mellow day. I got some good work in yesterday. But look at the wind in the video and you'll tell that was considered a really good day yesterday. So I'm going to be planning, as, if I can, every other day to get to the range to knock out the videos like I was doing at Scout. So I'm going to be putting more emphasis in videos for you guys. And um, but I got a, a new schedule figured out. I'm, I'm coming to the end of my um, my physical therapy stuff and then I'm going to be starting classes and traveling. But I'm going to bring... I got the camera all tuned up, the little guy ready to go that's light that I can take with me everywhere. So I'm going to try to do videos on a lot higher uh, rate than I was within the last six months, we'll say. Uh, so I'm going to increase the, the uh, frequency of my videos. Again, box to bench precision. You get two of the tall targets for one sheet. You can cut them right down. There's a, there's a, there's almost a three eighths gap between them. You'll see it when you get it. You can cut them, stack them, do all this. I'm actually going to use it for the muzzle break video because when I was looking at the grid and the way it was, I'm going to be able to do individual muzzle breaks per, and then let you all take a look at that uh, where they splash in relationship to zeros and different things and accuracy so when I do my muzzle break video I'm actually going to use the sniper's high tall target because I really like the layout for kind of like a scientific method and it's super contrasty so you can see it well you know it, it's something you can looking through you're not trying to term what is that line what is that it's you know you're you can have a 10x scope and you're going to see it you don't have to have a 35 power to resolve what's going on there. So I think that's a great thing that a, a, a lesser scope, thicker reticle, less magnification is going to work well with that tall target test that I did under a variety of situations. You can mount it, laminate it, not have to shoot it by one page and, and, and make it so you can reuse it without shooting it up. You can shoot it to do it and see how it tracks following the line, see how you track See if you throw any bit of right in there with your trigger squeeze. I mean, that's one of those things. With that line and that tall target test, see if you're putting any of you into that. You may have a scope. Now, understand, some scopes, because of the way the springs are, you might get a little bit of curve to the right. They'll push the erectors to the side, depending on how much windage you have dialed in when you zero it, depending on where you are in the elevation. And it's funny, it the curves happen at the high end of the elevation uh, cycle. You know what I mean? So the more elevation you put in, the bigger the curves become in some of these scopes. And sometimes they'll work really good in the, um, the advertised adjustment range, 
but then if you will have the ability to go beyond the advertised adjustment range. And once you do that, then you'll start to see a bigger curve go into how the scopes and it's pushing that erector to the side because you're getting at the extremes. Remember, you got a round erector and a round tube and a single spring pushing up against it with another spring pushing to the side, you know, or another uh, plunger pushing it to the side. So it's not going to go up always perfectly straight depending on your elevation. It can have a left or right offset in there and almost always does in some models in the way certain scopes are. So again, it's the tall target is a way to diagnose this. This is a variable you can control, you can look at and understand and, and take back and put in your real world results, making sure, well, gee, why did I miss that 1500 yard target off to the right? Well, maybe your scope's pushing the erector off to the right. You know what I mean? It, it could be something as simple as that. Unless you've tall target tested your scope through 100% of its travel, you'll never know. Uh, um, true range zero it. Like again, you could do the trial and error uh, aspect of it like Hornaday shows in their video or I have it in, in cold bore on the phone. It has it in there and it'll give you a number based off of a value so you can have it based off of your rifle as well. So you put your data in and, and then go from there. All righty. Again, guys, thanks for everything. Thanks for the feedback. Um, let us know what you want to hear, what we want to talk about. We're, we're still going to get together and do some other stuff. Uh, you know, every, I'm going to be out again. I got the new Voodoo came in on Friday. I got the AI uh, chassis, AX chassis. And I'm going to put my Voodoo and I'm going to build my Voodoo up just like my AX. So uh, as well, I got a Thunder Beast 22 takedown can I'm going to look at. So with the Voodoo stuff, 22 takedown uh, suppressor from Thunder Beast AI uh, AX chassis for that. Um, and then the Voodoo uh, Gunworks 22 with Prime Subsonic and Sonic Ammo. I just did a new reorder of Prime Ammo. Um, also, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, Prime's got 6mm Creedmoor coming out now too. So if you guys are shooting 6mm Creedmoor, I know Mike shoots it. I have a barrel for my AX with it. Prime Ammo's coming out with it. So there's another option for people. Uh, a 105 bullet, I believe it is. And um, it, it's going to be with the Prime. So you got the Hornaday 108. You got the Prime 105. Boom. Options, everybody. Options. Got to love them. Right? Hey, one of the... So this morning I get up and I throw on the external viewing screen and I'm kind of tooling around and I'm like, hey, here's this documentary from 1966. So it's this group of researchers going to look for the Yeti in the Himalayas. I'm like, okay, this is cool. I'll see what they did up there. So they're trekking through the Himalayas and then they start getting like harassed by something. And, and you know, it drives their uh, horses away. And, and so they're, they're, they're in dire straits now. So as they're coming through this snowstorm and they're coming around the mountains, they find a cave and they're like, they could seek shelter in this cave. I'm like, okay, cool. Well, when they get into the cave, and the cave's a pretty elaborate cavern system. So they get into the cave, and the next thing you know, they hear the girl in the in the um in the expedition screaming, and they come around the corner, and you know, this whole group of yetis captured them. Well, it turns out these Himalayan yetis were aliens. They were colonizing the earth from like 
underneath and they were doing climate um, control, like uh, what do you call it, uh, climate change. They were like alternating between hot and cold at the poles because they, they got hot first because they wanted to melt some of the polar ice caps to flood us a little bit. And then they went cold to refreeze us. So their, their idea, and this is 1966, and they're talking about climate change, right? Hello, and hot and cold, hot and cold. And what they were going to do is they, they wanted this melt, refreeze, melt, refreeze. Because as they rose everything, they eventually wanted us to be like a glacier-type landscape. And that's what these... And they were hiding out in the Himalayan mountains in a cave system. And then through communicating with space, with their their base to, you know, hot and uh, heat and cool are polar ice caps. Boom. Boom. Let that sink in for a minute. You got it? Is it sinking in? This stuff, man, you've, we've seen this before. They're out there. I'm telling you, time traveling Chinese in the Bigfoots are just out of phase aliens. Hello. Hello. Anyway, you got Frank from Sniper's Hide. Come on over to the forum. Um, God, man, I, I, I messed with the uh, registration. And there's a ton of people registering, man. I got to go in like every hour and clear it out because I'm doing it manually to keep some of the hackers away. But um, yeah, come on over. Good conversations going on. Uh, I can't, can't wait. I guess some of the Valkyrie stuff's coming in. And uh, Adam was shooting his. And, I, and I'm looking forward to the new bullets and the stuff with the Valkyrie. So I got to get a hold of um, JP and see when that, that Valkyrie's coming. Because I'm, I'm kind of hungry for it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for following. Thanks for watching the videos. And thanks for all uh, the comments and the feedback. Really appreciate you. Peace.